Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms on the Glendora campus. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms in the Valley Center Chapel. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms online. Happy Mother's Day to my mom and to my kids' mom. God bless us all. We're going to dive into uh, an amazing study in God's Word. God's Word is amazing, uh, and it's amazing to study it. So let's, uh, let's take a minute and pray together. Jesus, thank you for the chance that we have together on this day to focus on you, to pull our minds and hearts away from the distractions of this world, to be relieved of our self-consciousness, and to focus wholly on you. Send your spirit that we might be drawn into your presence uh, and feel more of your joy and your love. Uh, fill us with your generosity. God, fill us with your grace. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we're in a series of studies now, a series of teachings on the book of Galatians called First Things, because in Galatians, Paul is getting to the, the heart of his message, the thing that he preached at first, and he doesn't want it to turn off to the right, and he doesn't want it to turn off to the left. He wants to make sure the Galatians remember the heart of the gospel, and so that's First Things. And, you know, I was thinking about what, what preaching tries to do as we go through Galatians. What preaching tries to do is like that moment you have. Yeah, you ever have that moment where you're you're reading an old diary and you look back and you go, I was just an idiot. I didn't know anything about anything. I was so immature back then. Because you're reading a, a glimpse of your mind from years past and you realize you've matured since then. And you look back and you go, I don't, I don't know if I understood anything at all back then. Uh, or, for instance, uh, at spring break, I was back in my old stomping grounds where I used to live. I went back to Hawaii and saw some old friends of mine. And I was talking to my friend uh, Dave, a very old, uh, uh, intimate friend. And um, Dave and I were talking about our experiences of the Holy Spirit. And he said, at one point, he goes, you know, I, I've just, I've experienced so much in the last few years. It makes me wonder, did I even believe back then? Did I even, well, of course he did. It's just that our faith grows over time. It should be growing as, as a good relationship grows. Our relationship with Jesus grows. But we, we have this moment where we look back reflectively and think, I was, I was so far behind where I am now. Imagine what's up ahead. Well, good preaching tries to make us look back at what has gone before and, and wonder, did I even get it? Did I, even, did I even see what was really there before? Because I see it now, and I, I, I didn't know it then. What, what was going on back then that I couldn't see it? As we read Galatians, Galatians should be the kind of letter that makes us go, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not sure I fully understood this. I'm not sure I fully got it. Look, look at the life of Jesus. 
the people with whom Jesus debated every day were not atheists and they were not pagans. They were the religious people. They were the people who knew the Bible forwards and backwards. They had it memorized. They were dedicated to daily prayer. They made sure their kids were in religious schools. Everything about their lives said, I get it. I'm in. I'm one of God's chosen. And when God stood right in front of them, they didn't recognize him. In fact, they fought with him. Ultimately, they would hand him over to be crucified. They thought they had it, and they couldn't see it right there in front of them. That's who Paul is arguing with in Galatians. Not with sinners and pagans, not with atheists and doubters. He is arguing with the strict religious people who are trying to replace the gospel of freedom with the old laws. And Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Don't go back to the slavery to the law. Good preaching should be like an x-ray. I remember a few years ago, uh, I, uh, I had just severe pain in my shoulder. Like I couldn't sleep at night. It was, just, it was so severe. And I went to a, a shoulder doctor and he took an x-ray and he showed me how in there, there was a little uh, like a calcium deposit, like a, a little, like a rock that was in my shoulder. So every time I moved my arm, it was like grating uh, the bones against rock. And he goes, but look, it's already broken and it's starting to dissolve. You don't have to do anything at all. It's going to go away. I, I felt this pain in there. I knew there was something there. I could tell there was something wrong, but I didn't know what it was. And the x-ray helped me to see it and to see where it was going. Good preaching should do that. It should make us address those feelings like we have. Like, I, like I'm, not sure I, I, I'm not sure I'm there. I'm not sure, I'm, not sure I'm, I'm where God wants me to be. I'm not sure I understand deeply enough. I feel it, but I don't know what the problem is. I can't name it. Preaching is the x-ray of the Bible that says, here's, here's what's going on. And as we get into Galatians, this will provoke some of us who think we've got it, who think we have everything figured out to go, oh, wait a minute. I, I didn't have it. Open in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Today we're going uh, to skip a little bit ahead. We'll go back again uh, next week. But we're going to read from Galatians chapter 4 at verse 1. Listen to God's word. What I am saying, I as the Apostle Paul, writing to the churches in the region of Galatia, modern day Turkey, and, and he's addressing them. Remember the context is, he's gone in preaching a gospel of freedom. You don't have to follow all the old laws anymore. You don't need... Uh, circumcision and all the Jewish rituals and customs and the holidays and the dietary laws, you're absolutely free. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You're forgiven. Just live a new life. Live a free life. And then these teachers from Jerusalem have come in going, hold on a minute. Jesus might be fine, but you'd better follow all the old rules. That's what we do. And so Paul writes this fierce letter back going, no, hold on. Hold on. We are free in the spirit. Don't go running back to the law. What I am saying is that as long as an heir someone in, who inherits a, an estate, as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. So this kid's growing up, the kid's going to inherit the parent's uh, fortune, but when he's a kid, he's, he's still a minor, he doesn't, have, he doesn't have authority over it yet. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Now, the word guardian here is pedagogos. 
And a pedagogos was a uh, sort of a coveted position in the Greco-Roman society. If you were an important upper-class family, you would hire a pedagogos to oversee your children, especially your sons, to bring them up and to teach them everything they needed to know to be a good and effective leader in Roman society, to be a Roman citizen, which was an important status. And, and they, were they would train you in public speaking so that you could command a crowd, so that you looked wise and noble and thoughtful. They'd, they'd teach you leadership and governance, so maybe one day you could be elected to the Senate and be in, in charge of people. Uh, and the, the pedagogos could actually discipline you like a parent. If you stepped out of line, or if you got in trouble, uh, it, it was the switch for you. And the pedagogos could act as the parent to discipline the children. Paul says the law of God is a pedagogos. It is a, a, a tutor, a nursemaid, a supervisor, a guardian put in charge of you to watch you, to train you where you needed to be trained and to discipline you where you needed to be disciplined. And when you are under age, you are under the law. The law controls all that you are. And so Paul now is speaking to these, these legalistic Christians from Jerusalem to say, you're still under law. You're still like a child being governed by the pedagogos. Uh, what, what the goal is, though, is for us to mature out of the law. I mean what I'm saying, and it's every bit as dangerous as what it sounds like. We are meant to mature out of the law. It's like this. Let me tell you a story about two different moms. I used to work in youth ministry, and I uh, spent a lot of time with families and parents as well as students. And I remember there was a, a student who came through my youth group. He graduated high school. We celebrated him. He went to college. And in the middle of his freshman year in college, I got a phone call from his mom. And his mom said, I need you to call my son. And here's what you need to tell him. You need to tell him he needs to get his homework done. He needs to get to class on time, even the 8 a.m. classes. You need to tell him to get to church. He should be in a Bible study, and you need to call him and tell him that. She had a whole list of things I was supposed to call her adult son who had moved out of the house and tell him to make sure he did them. Now listen, in relationships, triangles are not a healthy shape. Triangles are never a healthy shape in relationships. When person A has a message for person B, and the way they deliver it is by going and getting person C involved. I think, I think person B needs to hear some things. I'm going to go ask C to get involved and work between us to get the message delivered another way. That is never healthy. Now, contrast that with another mom I ran into, who I remember seeing her son came through my youth program, graduated, and right around graduation, it was, I think it might have been at the graduation ceremony, I saw him turn to his mom and ask her for advice, the way any child would ask their mom for advice. And she said, I trust you to make the right decision. And I was so shocked by how confidently she handed off responsibility to him that later I went and, and I, I told her that was impressive. The fact that you had that confidence and communicated that confidence, that was impressive. And she said something I'll never forget. She said, Jim, we are, as parents, we are preparing our children for export. We're preparing our children for export. We are raising them so that they will be competent adults who can stand on their own two feet without us hovering over their heads all the time. That's actually how the law is supposed to work. 
the law put in place by God to govern his people was put in place to, to pedagogos, to be a pedagogos, to tutor us, to guard, guard us, to protect us and discipline us up until the point that we could become mature followers of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit, a law unto ourselves. Paul says, don't go running back to what came before. You're not a child anymore. Be an adult. Okay? And that's where he's going to go with this metaphor. But he has more to say about it. Verse 3. So also, when we were underage, here's the metaphor now. When we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. That's a big fancy way of saying we, we were either, uh, like the Greeks, we were committed to false gods, or like the Jewish people, we're committed to strict religious legalism, which did not set us free to mature relationships with God. We were uh, in slavery under these spiritual forces. But when the, time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship, sonship and daughtership, so that we might grow into adulthood where we are no longer under the guardian. We are now adopted into the family. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is God's plan for humanity. Plan A was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Perfect, uninterrupted relationship with the Father. No need for the law because we lived in perfect intimacy with him. They rejected that for their own will. You and I reject that. Every time we say to God, I don't want to do what you want. I want to do what I want. We reject intimacy with the Father. God's plan B was, okay, if that's what you want, here is the law. Follow these 600 different commandments so as to live a perfect life. And if you violate any one of those, go and offer a sacrifice, sacrifice an animal at the temple to pay for your sins. This was a, a foreshadowing of the cross of Jesus. Plan, plan B is we're going to have an intense kind of legalism that you're never going to be able to fulfill. The law did not serve as a sponge that could clean us. It, showed, it, it uh, worked as a mirror to show us that we were dirty. And that's all the law could do. It could not clean us. It only showed us that we were dirty. That was God's plan B. And that went on for more than a millennium. But at exactly the right time, Paul says, God sent his son, born, as, born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under law. To redeem those born in plan B and introduce them to God's plan C, which is Christ. And in Christ, we find grace and freedom. In Christ, we have the alternative to the law, which is life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit is where the Holy Spirit fills us and guides us day to day. That is what Paul is calling the Galatians back to. If you have lived under God's plan B, under law, you are missing the power and the beauty and the love and the grace of God's plan C. You are missing life in the spirit and life with Christ. And this is why Galatians is such a powerful text. It speaks 
into the culture of modern-day Christianity, where we have settled for a kind of tepid legalism, where I go to church, I'm a good morally behaved person, I even go to Bible study, I follow all the rules, why do I still feel empty inside? I'm very legalistic, I'm very strict, which means I feel guilty because I know I've broken the law, but I make sure I hammer other people with the law too. Why is this not working? Galatians is the x-ray that says, you know that kind of emptiness that you feel that tells you something's not right? Let me show you what it is. You're still living in God's plan B. And there are people who sit in church every Sunday morning who are still living in God's plan B. We talk about Jesus, but we're not filled with the Spirit. And we're not living by grace. We're living by rule keeping. That's who Paul's after in Galatians. Uh, And he's going to go on now. Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Before you converted, you were slaves to the Greco-Roman gods. You were slaves to to false things. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, How is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. You're back to all the Jewish uh, uh, ceremonies and holidays. You're keeping all the, the rituals of religion. Why are you going back to that? I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. You're running back to to. God's plan B when you've been introduced to God's plan C. Now, now focus in on this because a lot of us actually have this gnawing inside of us and we don't know what to do with it. We, we've settled for it, it. You'll see it in the secular marketplace. I, I, had, uh, I, I sat down with a friend of mine um, not long ago over at the Glendora Public Marketplace one evening and we were talking about life and he's, he's a, a Christian guy, a businessman, and he says... Um, he says, Jim, I, I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing fine. Business is fine. I've got revenue coming in. I've got work coming in. And I go to church. But it's just repetition. It's just the same thing over and over again. And he said, I just don't feel like it's worth it. By all practical measures, he was successful. And he didn't feel like it was worth it. A lot of us are stuck in lives like that. There's a professor at the London School of Economics named David Graeber who's written about this, wrote wrote about this prior to the pandemic. He did studies that showed that 40% of the people he surveyed were in jobs that they hated, that they felt were useless, and that they were pretty sure if they walked out and the job went away, the company wouldn't suffer for it. 40%. Some of them with good salaries would quit because they just couldn't handle the meaninglessness of it. A lot of us are doing the same in church. We're living under God's plan B. I follow the rules. I go to church. I'm in Bible study. I know the Bible. I do all the things you're supposed to do. It just feels like repetition. There's no meaning in it. And that's because we don't, we don't realize. We think we've got it figured out. We, we think we're in the right place. I know Jesus. I know all the right doctrines. I know what, what the checklist to get into heaven. Why does it not feel right? It's because we haven't moved from living under the law to living under grace. We've just added Jesus' name to the law. 
Jesus is one more set of regulations that we follow. And that's entirely different than being filled by the Holy Spirit. Being, being filled with the Spirit looks like this. It governs, it governs two things in our lives. It, it governs who we are, and it governs what we do. It governs our being, and it governs our doing. A, a lot of us have settled for what uh, uh, modern theologians are calling moral therapeutic deism. Instead of Christianity, it's moral because it tells us what rules to follow. It tells us how to be good people. It's therapeutic because it makes us feel good. Jesus loves you. He, he's there for you. And it's deism, which is the belief that God is way up there in the sky and started everything off, but doesn't really get involved in our lives today. Doesn't intervene in any meaningful way. Uh, a lot of the founders of America were not Christians. They were deists. Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin. They believed that there was a God up there somewhere, but none of this superstitious stuff where God answers prayers. Moral therapeutic deism is plan B. It's behavior modification so that you fit in well in society. It's not life in the spirit. Life in the spirit is where our identity and our activity are taken over by the Holy Spirit. Our being and our doing, our, our inward-facing uh, uh, selves, our self-reflection, and our approach to the world are guided by the Holy Spirit. Our, our being is taken over by the Spirit when Jesus' opinion of us is the only one that matters. Where my identity is entirely formed and dependent on what Jesus thinks about me every day. It means a lot less scrolling through other people's polished selfies and worrying that I don't have enough. And a lot more time in prayer, understanding that we are lavishly loved by Jesus. Life in the Spirit means Jesus' opinion of us is the only one that counts. And we spend every moment of our day living for Him. It changes our being, and then it changes our doing. It changes how we live our daily lives. We wake up in the morning and we say, Jesus Tell me freshly today what you want me to do, where you want me to go, who you want me to speak to. I open my hands to that, that grip I have on my schedule and my expectations, and I live for you instead. And when we do that, when we're filled with the Spirit, when we live letting Jesus shape our identity and Jesus call us, call us where he wants us to go— it opens up a conduit through which the Holy Spirit can flow. And Jesus will do things in your life supernaturally, the, the kinds of which you've maybe only read about. Uh, I was over at our preschool on the Glendora campus, hey Glendora campus, uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was talking to uh, one of the teachers over there. And we were talking about prayer. And, uh, and I, I, was, uh, I was naming that you can, you can get in a place where you really just talk to Jesus like he's sitting next to you because he is. And you trust that he hears you and that he's on your side and, and that he wants the best for you. There's this, this passage in the book of Hebrews that's sort of been rattling around in my brain lately. Uh, it's Hebrews 11:6, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe two things here, that he exists, duh, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Isn't it curious to think that the only way to please God is to trust that he's going to reward you when you seek him, right? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else will be added to you as well. What a weird thing to have to believe in. 
So I was talking to her about that, about the fact that when we trust that Jesus is with us, that, that he wants to do good things for us, we can, just, we can just open our hearts and lives and watch what the Holy Spirit does. And she said, okay, well, I just need, I need more food in my refrigerator. That's all I'm going to pray for today. That there's more food in my refrigerator. And so she and I prayed for that. Next week, she came running up to me and she goes, Pastor Jim, you won't believe what happened. The day that we prayed together, I went home and got the mail. And in the mail, there was an unexpected check from a former employer. She said, I only needed a few hundred. The check was for thousands. God isn't a slot machine. God's not an ATM. But when we, when we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit, when we say to ourselves, Jesus' opinion of me is the only one that matters. And I'm going to live for his calling and not the other things I think I'm supposed to do in this life. We open a conduit by which the Holy Spirit can flow into our lives. And Jesus can take care of us in ways that we can't take care of ourselves. Or again, a couple weeks ago, uh, the board of our church met and they said, we need to find more ways to encourage the staff. We want the staff to feel encouraged and appreciated. We need to find more ways to do that. And we kind of brainstormed and thought about that. That week I went to uh, Robin, our preschool director, uh, one morning, uh, eight or nine in the morning. And I said to her, uh, can you call some other preschool directors and ask them if they do anything special to celebrate and appreciate their teachers? I'm looking for new creative ways to do that. And she said, absolutely. An hour and a half later, same morning, hour and a half later, I get a call from a member of our congregation, one of you, who said, I, I want to write a check, a, a generous check, and I just want you to use it to encourage the staff. That, that's on my heart. I want you to use it to encourage and appreciate the staff. An hour and a half after I went out and said, find ways to encourage and appreciate the staff. Now, not only that, that afternoon I get home, I open up the mail. There's a mailer from In-N-Out, In-N-Out Burgers, addressed to Real Life Church that says, we want to send you a gift card for every one of your staff to get a free double-double. And it literally said in the letter, this is just a way for you to express appreciation for your staff. All in the same day. Now, those who don't believe will say, what an amazing string of coincidences. You, fine, you go with that. You plan B, buddy. The reality is, when we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit, when we spend our day saying, Jesus, your opinion of me is the only one that matters. I'm only going to focus on that. Jesus, your calling to me is the only thing that matters. I'm only going to focus on that. We open ourselves to a conduit through which the Holy Spirit flows. And Jesus rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, at the end of the day, you might think I'm just telling you things that your mother called me and told me to tell you today. That these are the things your mom wants you to hear. These are the things that Jesus wants you to hear. You are absolutely, recklessly loved. And nothing will ever change that. And that opinion, his opinion of you, is the only one that matters. And if you will place your life in his hands and trust him, he will do things supernaturally in your life that are better than anything you can plan for yourself. That's the word today. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for how much you love us. I thank you for how much you cherish and watch over us. We want to surrender those things that we've been holding on to into your hands so that we can live for you instead of for ourselves. And rather than trying to justify ourselves by following 
whatever rules we've cooked up. Instead, we pray, Holy Spirit, come in. Fill us and make us new. Wash away our brokenness and our selfishness and our blindness. And help us to see how good you are. Help us to see we only need to live in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you again soon. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.